podcast from the First Church of Christ in East Palestine, Ohio. We're glad you decided to join us and hope you enjoyed this week's message. The emblems of which we are about to partake were chosen by Jesus himself. The broken bread and the fruit of the vine were chosen to best represent his body and blood. We are celebrating one of the greatest events of this world's history, the greatest of all death hours, a death which purchased for us joy, peace, pardon, and hope. What a memorial this is. It should be a treasured habit of the heart to participate in each Lord's Day. Remember where the feast began. It was there in the upper room, the night in which he was betrayed. The same night, he took the bread, gave thanks, and gave it to his disciples and said, as is recorded in 1 Corinthians 11.24, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This meal is not only a means of remembering the Lord who died, but a communing with the Lord who lives. It not only looks backward, but forwards and upwards. It not only recalls an absent Lord, it rejoices in the Lord of the present, It celebrates the Lord's Day, the first day of the week when he arose from the dead. So I ask, the juice that we serve, is this not a participation in the blood of Christ? And the bread, is this not a participation in the body of Christ? The death of Christ for sin is effective because he arose and lives forever to make intercession for us. The body and blood of Christ today have their benefits of redemption because of his living presence in the gospel, along with its wonderful promises. A communion of the body and blood of the Lord is a participation of his life. According to the great writing of Paul, those Christians who sit at the Lord's table, eating the bread and drinking the cup of the Lord, have sweet communion with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear God, our Father in heaven, We come before you at this time in remembrance of the sacrifice your son, Jesus Christ, made for us on that cross on Calvary. Heavenly Father, we know that Jesus Christ went freely and willingly to make intercession for us so that we will spend eternity with you. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon this bread and juice as we take it in remembrance and what it represents, the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, do you know what Wednesday is? What'd you say? It's Bible study and supper. I just told you that. I know, I know, and it's also Valentine's Day. You know, according to businesses, Valentine's Day is the third biggest day of the year for buying gifts. Now, you know the biggest day of the year for buying gifts. What would it be? Christmas. Can you guess the second biggest day for buying gifts during the year? Mother's Day. Yeah, that's right. You know where Father's Day fits in? No such list. You know, it doesn't make it at all. So Valentine's Day, the third biggest day for buying gifts. I don't want to put any pressure on you guys, but 70% of people buy gifts for their sweethearts uh, this Valentine's, uh, on Valentine's Day. And the average present cost, what do you think, over 100 or under 100? 
the average present costs 140 bucks. So turn to your husband or sweetheart and say, average or below average. You know, you can do that. Maybe you heard about the woman who uh, dreamed of owning a Ferrari sports car. And when her husband asked her what she wanted for Valentine's Day, she said, I want something that goes from zero to 200 in six seconds. So he bought her a bathroom scale. His funeral was three days later. (laughs) When you think of Valentine's Day, you think of love. So this morning, I'm going to talk about love, but not romantic love. I'm going to talk to you about loving like Jesus loves. John chapter 13, we read about Jesus the last night with his disciples before he dies. And he teaches them about love, and he teaches us also about love. 13, chapter 13, beginning of verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, before we talk about loving one another like Jesus loved people, I want you to notice two things in our text here. The first thing we notice is love is a command. It's not a suggestion. Jesus did not say, you know what, I would really like you guys to try to love one another. I prefer that you act that way. It would be nice if you loved one another. It'd make me happy if you loved one another. No, he said, a new command I give you, love one another. This command has the same force, it has the same authority, the same expectations behind it as any command. Romans chapter 13, we read, The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does not harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Matthew 22, Jesus says that uh, this commandment to love others sums up the law and the prophets. And when you think about it, that, that is certainly true. If you love your wife or your husband, you're not going to commit adultery, which is one of what? The Ten Commandments. Do not commit adultery. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to covet his wife or what he has. If, if you love others, you will not steal from them. You will not lie to them. You will certainly not murder them. That's why Jesus said the commandments to love God and love others are the two greatest commandments there are. So loving others, this isn't an option that Jesus gives us as Christians. This is a command that he gives us. And then he tells us uh, love identifies us as disciples of Jesus. Look at the text again. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you so that you must love one another. By this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, how do people know you're a Christian? Is it because they visited your home and you have your baptismal certificate hung up on the wall? Or you have a Bible out on the coffee table? Or maybe they see you getting in your car and going to church every Sunday morning. Or maybe you've invited them to church. And all those things, certainly to some degree, can indicate that we are followers of Christ. But Jesus says, the thing that really shows people that you belong to him The thing that really shows people that you are different than the world. The thing that really identifies you as a follower, as a Christian, as a disciple, 
is that you love other people like he did. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And when we do that, the world will catch on. When we do that, the world will see. People will know that we are disciples of Jesus. Now notice, the world catch on, catches on that we are followers of Jesus, not just because we love one another, but because we love one another in a certain way. We love other people like Jesus loved other people. So let's talk about that, because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding when we talk about the love of Jesus. So let's see how Jesus loved. Number one, Jesus' love was an obedient love. John chapter 14, we read about Jesus talking to his disciples. He has already told them that they are to love one another. And then he says, but the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what the Father commands me to do. And then a few verses later, in chapter 15, 10, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have noticed, he says, obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. Love, loving like Jesus, means we are going to obey God. That very night that Jesus taught this lesson, he would go to Gethsemane. He would remain awake most of the night praying. And the prayer would be, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Now the cup he's talking about is the cup of death. He's going to face the cross in just a few hours. And he was saying, listen, if there's any other way to save sinning humanity except me going to the cross, let it be. Three times he prayed this prayer. The Bible says his prayer was so fervent that he sweat drops as of blood. He was so worn out after his prayer that an angel came to minister to him. He did not want to die on the cross. He did not, it wasn't something that he was looking forward to the next morning. He was going to take our sins upon his sinless shoulders. He was going to hang there naked before a multitude of people. He was going to suffer the beatings at the hands of unjust men. His death was going to be agonizing. But he said, not my will, your will be done. You see, his love for God included obedience. Even when it's not something he wanted to do, he was obedient. If we're going to love like Jesus, we're going to be obedient to God. Even at times when it's not something that we want to do. Jesus' love was also sacrificial. Ephesians 5, 2 says, live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, I'm not going to spend most, much time on this because this, this is something that we're very familiar with. John 13, 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Love doesn't just look out for self. Love looks out for the best interest of others. And you see, that's what Jesus did. He selflessly sacrificed himself for our benefit that we might have eternal life. When we love Jesus, we put others first. We sacrifice sometimes our wants, even at times our needs, to help other people. Maybe you're familiar with the story of King Edward VIII. He was willing to walk away from the throne of England for his love. 
the king fell in love with an American woman named Wallace Sampson. Simpson. The BBC knew of the love, but they didn't say anything. The British government knew of the love he had for her, but they said to him, calm down, you know, we're going to keep this thing quiet. We don't want to see it go any uh, further. But he loved her. And uh, he got on the radio to tell the British people how much he loved her, and the BBC cut the radio broadcast. So he decided the only thing he could do was to abdicate the throne. He had only been a king for a little less than a year, but he decided that he would need to leave the throne in order to marry her. So on December 10th, 1936, the king signed a letter of abdication, and the next day he announced it on the radio. And he married Wallace on June 3rd, 1937. They remained married until he died in 1972. They never had any children, but they lived in various countries, but not England. He was willing to make that sacrifice, willing to leave the throne because of his love for her. And to love like Jesus means self-sacrifice. Remember, Jesus' sacrifice involved a lot more than just his death on the cross. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he left his throne on heaven to be born in a manger. During his ministry, he said, the birds of the air have nests, the foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He lived a hard, sacrificial life here on earth. He was tempted by the devil himself. Many of the religious leaders of that day hated him. In fact, they planned his death. He was betrayed. And then when he needed his friends the most, they forsook him. He sacrificed himself for your benefit, for my benefit, that we might have everlasting life. That's love. And he calls us to a sacrificial love, to love like he loved. Then I want you to see that Jesus loved everyone. Uh, Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus demonstrated his love by dying on the cross. Love is not just a feeling. Love is not just sentimental words. Love is action. Jesus demonstrated his love by what he did on the cross. Now notice, he demonstrated his love while we were yet Sinners. Jesus doesn't love us because we accepted him. Jesus doesn't just love us because we are good. Jesus simply loves us. He loves us in spite of anything we have done or anything we are doing. If he loves us if, if we love him or if we don't love him. He loves us if we believe in him or if we don't believe in him. He loves us even as sinners. Romans 8.39 tells us nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. God loved you before you were born. God loves you right now and God will always love you. But don't misunderstand that. Listen, don't misunderstand that. That is where a lot of people get into trouble. They misunderstand God's love and how it connects to his grace and his justice. Because Jesus loves you doesn't mean that you are automatically saved. Or that he accepts bad behavior. Because of God's love, he has made a way through his grace for us as sinners to be saved and for his justice to be satisfied. Because of his love, he has made the greatest sacrifice ever made. But it's possible for us to reject that love and be lost. John three sixteen, 16, you're familiar with it. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. 
God loves everyone. He, he loves the world. But only those who believe in Jesus get eternal life. God loves anyone and everyone. And if you continue, and he will continue to love you whether you believe him or not, whether uh, uh, you accept his gift of life or not, he will still love you. He will love you whether you were saved or whether you were lost. He will love you if you were in his fold or if you have wandered from the fold. But it is your response to his love and his grace that determines whether or not you will be saved. You know, think about the, the parable of the prodigal son. The prodigal son took his inheritance. He went off into the far country and lived a sinful life. But the father still loved him. And the Bible says he looked out the window, you know, and he watched for his son. The Bible says he had compassion on his son. And one day his son came to his senses and he left that sinful life and came home. And the father was looking out the window. And when he saw him, the father who represents God ran out and, and welcomed his son home. And it's in his honor, he, of course, he threw his son a, a party. But the father said this about the boy. Catch this. The father said he was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. The father never stopped loving the son. But even though he was always loved, there was a point in that boy's life where he was lost. Love alone doesn't save a person. A person must respond to God's love and God's grace to be saved. But the point is, Jesus loves everyone. And we as Christians, we are to love everyone. Jesus demonstrated on the cross and he taught us in the Sermon on the Mount that we are to love our enemies. We are to love our enemies. I call that major league Christianity when it comes to loving your enemies. The Greek word for love that is usually used in the Bible is agape. It's the one that we're talking about here, loving like Jesus loved. And it, it means uh, acting selflessly in the best interest of others. It doesn't mean that you have to have warm feelings for your enemies. It means that you selflessly act in their best interest. So if our enemy is hungry or hurting or in need, we don't ignore them, we help them. We don't gossip about them. We don't cause them trouble. We do not seek revenge. It means that we are to do what Paul told us to do in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 when he described love for us. Love is patient. It, it is kind. It is not proud. It, it, it does not boast. Or it does not envy. It is not self-seeking or, or easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs, but does not delight in evil and rejoices in truth. It always protects and always trusts and always hopes and always persevere. Love always is acting selflessly in the best interest of other people. That's not easy, is it? That, that's not easy to do. But that's what we're called to do. Number four, I want you to see Jesus' love involved correcting and disciplining people. A lot of people want to ignore this aspect of Jesus' love, but we can't do that. Revelation chapter 319, Jesus has John write a letter to uh, one of the churches, one of the seven churches in Asia, the, the church in Laodicea. And this is what he has John write, to those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. See, there are a lot of people who misunderstand the love of Jesus. They think that to love Jesus means that we accept them as they are. To ask them to change, 
to act differently, to live differently, they say that would be unloving. But that's not true. This idea that someone can become a Christian and live however they want to live because God is love is to misunderstand the love of God. The Bible teaches us to teach the truth in love, and we do this because it is in the best interest of the other person. It is for their benefit. Sometimes we're able to do that in a very gentle way that takes a period of time. Other times we need to do that very quickly and, and firmly. But we are always to speak the truth in love. There are some people who accept sinful living under the guise of love. But true love does not accept sin. Love does not tolerate sin. Love exposes sin. It rebukes sin. It disciplines those who are involved in sin and calls for them to repent of their sin. Now that's how Jesus loved. Because to allow someone to continue in sin is to allow them to travel the road to hell. Why does a parent grab a two-year-old when he, he loses his ball and it starts going out in the street and the two-year-old runs to get it? Does he grab him and hold him and scold him and tell him not to do that because he hates him? No, he does that because he loves him and wants to protect him. Why did Jesus call uh, the Laodiceans to repent? Because he loved them. To let them continue on the path they were going would actually be unloving. John 8, we read about the Jewish a woman being brought to uh, Jesus, a woman who was caught in adultery, and Jewish leaders brought, them, brought her to Jesus. and They were trying to trick Jesus because in the Old Testament it said if someone was caught in adultery, they would be stoned to death. But under the Roman law, the Jews were not allowed to stone people to death. So they're going to ask Jesus, what should we do with this woman caught in the act of adultery? If he said stone her, he'd be in trouble with the Romans. If he said uh, let her go, he'd be in trouble with the Jews. So they thought they had him in a trap. But you remember the story. Uh, Jesus uh, bent down, wrote something on the ground. And uh, after he did that, he, he got up. And, and he said, if any of you is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And then he bent down and wrote something else on the ground. Now, we don't know what he wrote in the ground. I'd love to know that. What did he write in the ground? Is it possible that he wrote a sin? And then he wrote someone's name over here and wrote another sin on the ground and wrote somebody else's name that was standing in the crowd. I don't know what he wrote. But he wrote something in the ground and these people began to leave one by one until they were all gone. And then Jesus said to the woman, has no one condemned you? And she said, no, sir, not one. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. And that's where a lot of people stop the story. Neither do I condemn you. And they talk about how loving Jesus is and not condemning. That's true. He is. But that's not where the story stops. He did not accept the woman living the way she was living. He said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus loves us. He died to save us. He doesn't want to condemn us, but Jesus doesn't tolerate sin. So if we need to, we need to go and leave a life of sin. Jesus loved this woman, and because of his love for her, he said, you can't continue on the way you're going. You need to change. You need to stop what you're doing. Love doesn't tolerate sin. 
sinful behavior. Love speaks the truth. Love helps people change. Sometimes, as I said earlier, it's done in a very gentle way. It's over a period of time and it takes patience. Other times, it has to be done in a more aggressive manner, in a blunt manner, because the person isn't responding to a gentle nudge. You know, if you fall, you don't want people to give up on you. If your kids fall, you don't want people to give up on them. Don't you give up on others. Love them, correct them, discipline them. That's the type of love Jesus had. A love that gets people going in the right direction. And last of all, Jesus' love involved helping others. Time and time again in the Bible, read about people in need. Jesus seeing them in need and having compassion on them. And that love and, and that compassion caused him to act on their behalf. He fed people who were hungry. He healed people who were sick. He comforted those who had broken hearts. He served others when he was the one who should have been being served. He traveled thousands of miles on foot from village to village, city to city, to preach the good news. He ate and he fellowshiped with the poor and the lowly. He spent three and a half years showing people his love and teaching his disciples how to love like he loved. Loving like Jesus. It's not a choice we have as a Christian. It is a command. We are to love like he loved. It's not easy, but that's what we're called to do. So ask yourself this week, if you're a Christian here this morning, ask yourself this week, am I doing my best to obey this command? Am I loving like Jesus loved? Now, if you're here this morning and not a Christian, before you can accept this command to love like Jesus loved, you need to accept Jesus. And the Bible says to do that is so simple. Jesus doesn't demand that we give him a large sum of money. Jesus says to become a Christian, we need to believe in him. And that belief needs to lead us to change our life so we go the direction he wants us to go. That's called repentance. Then we need to confess Christ, and then we are baptized into him. The Bible says, for the forgiveness of sins and gift of the Holy Spirit. And every Sunday morning, we like to offer that invitation in case there's someone here who hasn't accepted Christ, who hasn't responded to his love. We like to give the opportunity to respond. If you can come forward this morning, we'll take your confession. And we have our baptistry ready, everything we need to baptize you into Christ. Don't have to go home and get your swimsuit. Don't have to make a time to do it later. We can do it right here and right now. If you need to respond to Jesus' love as we sing our invitation hymn, if you come forward, we'll take your confession and baptize you this morning. Let's stand as we sing together. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to join us in person, we have a traditional service at 845 and a contemporary service at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Check our Facebook page for evening adult and youth service times throughout the week.